You're listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. I hope you're well. The interview subject that I've got coming up for you, boy, oh boy, I really feel privileged to do this, I must say, from the outlet, because I get an opportunity to chat to people, such as Michael Girard. He's the fella at the centre of New York-based outfit Swans. Legendary band. If you're a heavy metal or hard rock fan and you want to get into a band that embodies everything that so many of the bands that we do love to listen to from the world of extreme metal, but it isn't extreme metal, it's Swans. Swans and Bauhaus, in my view. They're the two bands that I really do dig. And the reason for the conversation with Michael is because we want to talk up the new album from Swans, which is called Leaving Meaning. It's due for release at the end of October this year, that being 2019, if you're listening to it sometime in the distant future. So here he is, Michael Girard. Hello, Andrew. This is Michael. How are you? It's good to uh, meet you over the phone. I'm a long-time fan. I must say I was very excited when John put out the call. So thanks for the opportunity. Certainly. It's my pleasure. I note in your icon here, your picture, that you're enthusiastically playing a guitar. Yeah, it's a bass. I play both, though, but in that one there, it's a bass. And uh, I play covers. Um, I'm, I'm back to being a student these days and I've got to earn money somehow and that way is uh, by playing other people's music usually disco and funk covers that sort of thing <laughs> <laughs> you know it's uh look my main thing I've got to tell you Michael my main thing is seeing people happy and dancing that's my main thing because when you're playing nice. covers the last thing you want to do is play smells like teen spirit for the 10,000th time and get all the bro boys up the front jumping up and down and getting all the ladies dancing toward the back if you know or not even dancing at all they just sort of clear off the dance floor whenever that all raging and some machines killing in the name of comes on so uh, what, uh, what funk do you play mainly um ohio players um oh that's great yeah it's getting tight yeah it's awesome yeah it's great and i love brothers johnson so i'm always adding a bit of that in there and of course the great masters in bernard edwards and Noel rogers and chic um, uh -huh. th those two there. So I'm a, I'm a massive. I've got to say I'm a massive disco fan. It must be said, and um, right. you know Patrice Russian's uh, Forget Me Nots, that sort of thing there. So I hope that's funk and disco anyway. That's certainly as, as I define it. And I think Stanley Clark. What about, what about James Brown? Well, that's yeah, that's next level. But I've got to tell you, it's very hard to find musicians here in Australia that can pull that off. Because uh, oh, he's he's like if you listen to there's this extended mix of. Uh, I think it's hot pants. Uh, okay. It's, it's like, it's so complicated. It's like Bach or something. It's incredible. It, there's so many, uh, like, these little diamonds of uh, nuance in it that it's just, it's almost in, impossible to comprehend. It's amazing. And it's, of course, just infectious and great, too. Mm. But uh, it's, it's really beautiful. It's very hard. I've got to tell you, it's very hard to do a lot of that stuff justice. And because I'm a dyed-in-the-wool disco and funk fan, but you've got to find people and sort of bring them on that journey with you here. And in the States, I know it's a bit different, especially in New York. You know, there are some wonderful musicians in New York, almost in every building there, really. You know, and um, there's some great musicians here, but our thing here is you're probably aware is bloody ACDC and rock. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I don't have a problem with that. It's just not my thing. Yeah. You know. So let's, uh, let's talk about this. I'll ask from the outset, mate, how much time have we got? Uh, I don't know. Let me see just a minute. Uh, we're supposed to have uh, 20 minutes. Wonderful. All right. Okay. So first and foremost, I want to congratulate you on this album here, Leaving Meaning. So John sent me across the stream 
a couple of weeks back and it's one of those albums that I found myself, I had to stop what I was doing and I had to put on headphones and I had to listen to it that way. And I'll tell you something else, and this might surprise you, and I don't know whether you've ever given, been given this feedback, of course, from an interviewer before, but my, my daughter, my six-year-old daughter really enjoys it. She actually listens to it to go to sleep. So I hope that makes you happy in insofar as it brings you some joy because it really helps us out, <laughs> if you know what I'm saying. Um, oh, that's, that's great. You know, that's really nice to hear yeah, I wish that my children felt the same way. They unfortunately, well, actually, they kind of <laughs> like this record. But most times when I pick up the acoustic guitar, mm. um, my children are 10 and um, 13, respectively. Okay. But uh, when, when I pick up the acoustic guitar, they, uh, they just they put their hand on the neck and stop it. <laughs> yeah, my daughters do that too because I've got two daughters, four and six, sort of the ages of mine. And uh, yeah, I get the shut up, dad, stop it, dad stuff because they're trying to watch whatever rubbish is on TV. And you know, there's moments when I might have, you know, I've got a beer around me or something like that, and I feel inspired to create some music. And I, I, um, I play a lot of psychedelic furs on the acoustic guitar for them. <laughs> you know, the British band Psychedelic Furs, and sure, they, yeah. they can sing along to that. And some Aussie numbers by a band called The Models with James Freud as well. Get into some of that stuff sure. too, but. But yeah, it's it's cool. I mean, music is, as as you well know, being a being a uh, a world renowned musician, music is something that makes the world go round, and the the place where that starts is in the household, in my opinion. So <laughs> I try to bring as yeah. much of it. I try to bring, do as much of it live as I can in the household. But but you know, but look, this this album here, I, I do mean that, mate. You know, I've been following your career ever since. Um, I'll make a point now to return to it, but uh, I was a big fan of Ted Parsons' drumming, if you can believe it, and prong back in the day, and I wanted to find out what other work he'd done, and I ended up getting into Swans because of Ted Parsons. So I don't know, again, whether you've ever been given that feedback before, but that's what happened oh, back fine. back in the 90s. But this, look, this album, I think it's an incredibly important album by an incredibly important band, of course, and I'm not just saying this to you because I'm talking to you. I think, oh, shucks. You know, I think, shucks. Well, you know, <laughs> and the reason for that is I think in this day and age... Swans are a band that you do, you force people to stop what we're doing and listen and pay attention. And in this day and age of three-second attention spans and social media and adults have got, really, they do, we do have, adults have childlike attention spans. You know, you are focused, you are forcing people to focus on what you're doing and I think it slows down their internal vibrations. It actually makes them more in tune with the earth and what's actually going on. So my question for you is... Yeah, That's great. yeah, and and I guess my question for you is this because I couldn't tell. I actually normally I'm pretty good at being able to pick up on these things, but is this one of those albums that you crafted around a vision, like you had specific intent and you knew what you wanted it to sound like, or is this one of those albums that unfolded and you just tapped into the muse and just let it flow? Uh, both. Um, the songs begin on acoustic guitar, of course, mm. and then I make notes I, I can hear just by dint of the uh, the kind of uh, resonance and harmonics that are occurring when I'm playing the kind of open chords that I play I can hear implied in those chords other instruments that will bring out the kind of uh, atmosphere surrounding the song and so uh, then I think about what instruments those should be hmm. and I also think sometimes when I'm playing a, a song at home, I think about people. Like, I'll just picture, like, well, how would Larry play this? Hmm. Larry Mullins, who played uh, lots of instruments, but drums also on the record. And uh, 
it kind of it just helps to build a, a world around the song. And so I'll, I'll, I'll make notes and I'll have a, a kind of a blueprint when I go into the studio and then start working with the actual musicians. And then usually, uh, very shortly, the notes are just, they might as well be thrown away hmm. because something new occurs. Uh, and I just try to uh, corral it or, or uh, uh be the puppeteer in the situation and and make sure that uh, it's still within the uh, aesthetic realms that I had uh, imagined. Mm -hmm. But I certainly want people to surprise me and to uh, just put their hand in the pot and just make a big mess, you know, and then it's uh, kind of more interesting because that happens. Yeah, and and look, as as we've already discussed, I'm a musician, and and look, I've probably got to learn to trust people a bit more as a musician when I'm in a band environment because I've I've been I wouldn't say I've been burnt, but I've I've wanted to trust people, and then you give them some music, and to be honest, they stuff it up. But you, you of course, you, you attract the right kind of musicians given your history and, and your uh, your reputation. So, do, do you no, find I, I, people had didn't call me up asking to play on this record? It was the reverse. Um, I I thought of. Um, people whose music first and foremost um, I admire hmm. and then I thought of people whom I like whom I want to uh, be in a room with uh, so then it naturally uh, had a, uh, the correct gestalt when we we're in the room together hmm. because it was just the right situation to be in and uh, all the musicians uh, wanted to uh, help the song first and foremost not just shine on their own or something yeah so uh, that was very helpful how, how do you do you, do you give them I understand what you like you've answered the question already but from the perspective of this is very complicated music at the end of the day meaning that it takes a lot of listeners for you to really uh, it, it's music that makes you work for it so as you really can appreciate the vastness it sounds like of... a math assignment in school. <laughs> well, it's it's more that I, I just find your stuff. I uh, I probably shouldn't say this, but you know, if I want to take some edibles or something like that, uh, I will say it. You know what I mean? But um, it's it's such a great accompaniment, and it is something that does. It's like going on a trip. I don't know how else to say it. Sorry, and I don't mean to sound like a sixteen-year-old, but that's exactly what it, your music has always done for me. And it's, it's great. You know, I. Um... Being a child of the 60s, believe it or not, hmm. such people are still alive. <laughs> um, I was very young in the 60s, but uh, I uh, consumed, is that the correct word? I ingested yeah. um, music <laughs> at that point uh, as, a, as a kind of to total psychedelic experience. And I uh, looked at it as entering into another world. I mean, I didn't qualify it in that way then, I just did it. But hmm. uh, to me, it was an all-enveloping experience. And uh, listening to the first two Doors albums, uh, for instance, at the time when they came out, it was like, uh, like a great orgasmic cataclysm, you know? It's just a fantastic yeah. experience. So I guess that formed the way I want to make records. It's not records, it's not a collection of songs. It's an experience. Absolutely. So that's what I try to provide. And I'm also um, 
inclined towards uh, kind of cinematic uh, productions. Um, I guess that's just what I have a proclivity for. But uh, yeah, yeah. So there you go. Yeah, you're bloody good at it. So yeah, and um, I reckon my favorite cut, if uh, if I was forced to pick one, would be Sunfucker. And uh-huh. I've read the lyrics. You can say that word on the radio. Yeah, definitely. I do. I say all sorts of stuff on the radio these days. It's, I'm, <laughs> I'm a podcast host, so I don't. I, I was talking to Niall Sand, oh, uh, Carl Sanders from Niall this morning, and yeah, we went to town a little bit for about three seconds just because we could. <laughs> so, so um, motherfucker. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, I, lo- I do love the lyrics. I got to say. Uh, to Sunfucker, I love the cut, and I just I love the lyrics as well. But can you explain the inspiration behind the lyrics? Well, you know, without killing the song, um, I, I don't want to answer any questions it might pose because uh, that kills the imagination, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. But um, I would say I was reading this tome, which I did not finish, about um, Aztec civilization. And there was this, uh, yeah. <clears throat> there was this image of, uh, I guess it was the high high priest uh, cutting out the heart of a, a sacrificial victim and holding the heart up to the sun. Hmm. And um, that just brought to mind this subject matter that I'm that I return to and I have returned to over the years since I guess the album Children of God about. Um, people wanting to subsume themselves in an ideology or a religion or a belief system and the kind of uh, attraction of that, the beauty of it, and also the, uh, the uh, negative aspects of it. Mm-hmm. And so I pictured this kind of uh, uh, group or cult chanting the words and they kind of wrote themselves when when I wrote from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great actually. That gives me enough insight just to make my own con- draw my own conclusions actually and the listener too. So that's uh yeah, that's killer. I do love the lyrics. I'm I'm just I've got them on my phone here at the moment and I'm reading them and uh it reminds me a little of what a little bit of what Mark Burgess is doing in the uh, in the Chameleons too, which is just you're asking questions in, in a way, and it forces the listener to, as I say, I've said it a few times, but stop what they're doing and think. And not enough music is doing that. And you worked with an, another artist, an Aussie artist, by the way, who does make people stop and think, and that's the next. And you worked on, oh, yeah. yeah, with two, two the cuts. Are, the next are, you should be proud to be an Australian, to have the next coming from your domain. Mm-hmm. They are, uh, they're an act of God. Uh, I truly love the Nex. Uh, I've seen them not, I don't know, maybe three or four times, but each time it was a kind of transporting experience. And I truly admire their approach, uh, something I'm not capable of, not being a true skilled musician, of just uh, sitting down on stage. They have no idea what they're going to do. And then these tremendous atmospheres and journeys occur that uh, are, are uplifting and I might even say transcendent, you know, mm. and with with the barest of means too, I mean, a, a double bass, a trap set and a piano. I mean, and the piano sounds like choirs of angels at times. It's just, uh, yeah, they're just, I think they're just amazing. And uh, to have them on my record is uh, like a dream come true. So 
-hmm. I was very pleased. I just sent them um, sort of naked, simple versions of the songs uh, with acoustic guitar and voice and um, didn't really give them much direction. And they just played. Mm -hmm. And I was enthralled. And I further orchestrated on it. But uh, so that's how that happened. Yeah, Yeah. beautiful sounding cuts. Yeah. And it it does bring you to another question, uh, which is... um, did you ever get the opportunity to collaborate with Alan Vega? Just talking about collaborations, but was Alan Vega... Oh, no. No. Uh, I was a huge Suicide fan. That's one of the reasons I moved to New York City, in fact, hmm. that such such a thing could exist in a city meant to me that was a place to be. Um, and I was a kind of a fanboy, in fact. I was uh, <laughs> at the shows constantly in New York once I had moved there and uh, and... and uh, Alan Vegas uh, solo shows too, and, and I w- would come to the dressing room and kind of stutter, you know. And uh, <laughs> he was always very polite and nice, but uh, no, never truly uh, met him in any meaningful way. I've got to say, I think I think the music world is poor that that collaboration didn't happen because you are two artists <laughs> that are very different, but you're on the same wavelength. If you know what I'm saying. Oh, well, that's great. Yeah, uh, Dream Baby Dream. It's a song I put it on for the kids again. I love that cut. You know, it was almost going to be my wedding waltz actually, or my wife and I's wedding waltz. And said we said we chose a David Bowie cut. You know, both great songs. But yeah, that was something when I was thinking, what's what's a question I could ask you that 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 um, or what's a collaborator that I would love to have seen you work with? Yeah, that that's the only one that sort of stands out because you've worked with so many other great people over the years. And what, one question for you now about your influence. Are you are you aware of just how influential you and by default Swans have been over extreme metal bands like death metal bands, black metal bands, that sort of thing? Well, I, yeah, I mean, I guess I've seen that. I mean, it, it takes a single facet of the music, and I don't want to disparage anyone and kind of makes it into a cartoon. Mm. <laughs> yep, I, I'm, I'm not, that's not really my genre i mean yeah swans at swans at one time or it's sporadically at times throughout the years have had a very kind of uh what's the word uh overwhelming kind of approach to sound you know mm-hmm. uh, and gone into some uh uncomfortable places emotionally perhaps but um or sonically Mm-hmm. But that's just one facet of the work, uh, you know. I yeah. guess I'm, I, I just I don't know. That's what I have to say about that. Yeah, I can hear it. That's all. I can hear it in a lot of these new drone bands. I can hear that they've borrowed specific elements um, from Holy oh, yeah. Money. I was, I was you know. watching a uh, I was watching a, um, a really good movie, and the title escapes me right now. But there was this soundtrack, and and uh, I was kind of. Uh, I guess bemused and <laughs> how much it sounded like swans. Yeah. Yeah, you'll hear it. In recent too. And it was uh, strange, but oh well. Hey, I think I've only got time for the one more question. Gosh, these things are always over so quickly when I'm talking to a legend of music. So um Oh please, but, please just do my work. I don't feel that way about myself. Oh yeah, it's I but you know, I'm I'm a fan, I'm a musical fan and a lifelong fan and I'm you know, with everything that we're we have an awareness of about what's going on in the world these days, I'm a firm believer and I say this all the time on the podcast series, but if it's not for 
you know, the Michael Girards and the, the musicians, the musicians, the magicians, the artists and the vagrants, the world really does stop turning in a lot of ways. You know, it's, if it's not for the creatives is what I'm saying. And you're a big part of that, mate. And I, w I want you to know that, that, you know, because of the music that you've made, people's lives are infinitely easy to live. I know it's well, a heavy I burden. Admire, I, I admire people who build bridges. <laughs> for instance, I mean, <laughs> physical bridges. Uh, yes. Uh, I think I, the whole the whole of human history is involved in building a road or a bridge. And uh, when I pass over some bridges, I'm just in awe of the, uh, the, the accumulated knowledge that has gone into constructing that system. Hmm. And it, that really interests me. Hmm. I'm, a, I'm back at uni, as I said before, and I'm actually in with the engineers at the moment, the architects. And uh, yeah, they think differently. <laughs> they definitely think differently, as I suppose you have to when you're constructing things that millions and thousands of Hundreds of millions of people eventually do end up using such as the Brooklyn Bridge or something, you know, which has been standing now for how many tens of years has it been standing? But they knew it. They know what they're doing. Yeah. You know, have I uh, have I got time for one more question, or have we got a got a jet? Of course. Yeah, certainly. Um, I mentioned Ted Parsons, so I hope you don't mind me asking a question about a, a former band member. But um, he was he's probably the first drummer um, that I really remember focusing on as a drummer back in the day, as a, as a real young fella in the eighties and, and early nineties. And he was in the band for some pretty important releases. So he was in the band for Holy Money, uh, Children of God. And I know he's, his drums appeared on um, some other cuts on albums such as Love of Life. But would you say that he was a, a crucial muse for you as a, as a percussionist? Was he a crucial contributor to the band? Well, all the, all the musicians were crucial contributors. Um, yeah, Ted, I, I don't know what to say. Ted's a great drummer. Um mm. It's a typical back and forth, you know, try this, that's great, don't do that, do this, and then they bring their own personality to it as well. And Ted was just a good drummer, a great drummer, hmm. good person too. Yeah, yeah, great, fantastic, yeah. Mate, that's it, yeah, uh, it's been fantastic to talk to you. Uh, really appreciate you, you spending the time to have a conversation with us here, and, uh, and I, I hope we see you down here again sometime soon. I hope so too. Thank you, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. All the best with everything. Good luck with your disco pursuits. <laughs> I, I look forward to playing. Don't worry about that. I'm just, I, my, you know, my only dilemma with it, do I use five-string or four-string? What do you think? I'll ask you that question now. What do you prefer, four-string or five-string bass? Oh, four. I did too. Too many but... options is a bad idea. Too many options is a bad idea. Yeah. It's uh, it just sometimes sonically one the five-string. One-string, one-string. <laughs> I've, I've, I've actually seen people do that. I think the guy from Lior did that. I think, yeah. But uh, oh no, morphine, morphine. That's right. He did two strings on right. bass. Yeah, he did that. But no worries, mate. All right, thanks very much for the conversation again. Thank you, Andrew. Bye. Cheers. Bye. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A List Online, and my name is Andrew Mackay Smith. That interview subject was the one and only Michael Girard from the New York-based outfit Swans. Thanks so much for listening.